And, and by the way, happy Father's Day. Hey, uh, anybody get like breakfast in bed this morning? As fathers, anybody get a breakfast in bed? Great. It's just, I'm, I, don't feel, I don't feel that bad now. I don't, who's got kids at home and they, yeah, young kids at home and they didn't break? Okay, yeah, I don't feel that bad. That's great. That's good. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm with, with uh, my fellow men. Um, and uh, that's okay. Well, you know, dads have a wealth of knowledge, right? We've got a wealth of knowledge. Well, we, we, we think we do. Uh, and I remember as a wee lad, and, and I uh, went to school, and I learned all about evolution. And I was like a bit confused, because I went to Sunday school, and, I, and I, I got taught at Sunday school that we came from Adam and Eve. God created man, Adam and Eve, and now came humanity, right? And so I went to my dad, and, and I asked him for advice, because this is what we do to verify facts. We speak to our dad, because they're wealth of knowledge. So I asked my dad, and this is his response. He says, will you look in the mirror? Do you look like a monkey? And I was going, no. Well, you're not a monkey. God made you. He goes, yeah, but what, what, what I learned at school? And he goes, well, people who think that are monkeys. <laughs> That's dad's simple logic. Okay, logic. And that kind of reminds me of another story of this boy asking his dad. He goes, dad, where do we come from? He said, we come from Adam and Eve. Goes to his mum, asks the same question. His mum says, oh, we evolved from monkeys. Then he goes back to dad and goes, dad, I'm really confused. You said we come from Adam and Eve. And Mum says, we come from, from monkeys. And, and the dad goes, oh, I told you my side of the family, and your mum told her her side of the family. <laughs> so uh, simple dad logic. Simple dad logic. <laughs> that, I just heard that story. That's not true, because, you know, anyway, here we go. <laughs> hey, you know, here's a, you know I, I am concerned these days when I watch movies, when I, especially Disney and other programs, because it seems to be, whenever I watch a movie, it seems like the man or the husband or the dad, he's, he's kind of portrayed as this bubbling idiot that doesn't know, doesn't gets everything wrong, or men in, men in general are kind of portrayed as, as, as simple and very idiotic at times, and, and, and women are kind of like pushed ahead to, get, to go it alone, that we don't need men, we can do it on our own, which is kind of, I don't, I don't mind watching movies like that from time to time to have a, have a laugh at the man's expense, and, and I do want my daughters one day to, be, to go and succeed, and, be, and they too can become team leaders or managers, but, but I kind of find that we're kind of being bombarded with this message constantly, that, and, if, and, and if we continue down this path where we don't need each other, that I can, I can do this on my own, I don't need you, you don't, and I can do this thing, I can do whatever I want, I don't need a man, I don't need a woman, I can do whatever I want, and I can go about my way, and, and who wants to have a family? Who wants to have a family? That's old-fashioned. Who wants to be imprisoned and chained to an ironing board or count, changing countless nappies? Who, who wants to be enslaved to just one person for the rest of their lives? I mean, who wants that? And of course, I'm going to the extreme on this kind of things. But this is what we're starting to see, and, and people are thinking that it's just old-fashioned. Families are old-fashioned. But there's something to say, there's something to say about what is, what, what is tried and true. There's something to say about what is old-fashioned. There's something to say about families that all cultures right around the world, regardless of what culture you come from, are built upon. And so today we're going to be having a look at what does the Bible say about this. In fact, we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Colossians. We uh, didn't quite finish chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 today. In fact, all the way to chapter 4, we're landing the plane on the book of Colossians. So we're going to pick up where we left off, and, and um, Paul kind of transitions to the Christian household. In fact, 
in today's society, this passage we're about to read is very controversial. Very controversial. Um, so hold on tight as we read this very triggered passage. Here we go. It's a great verse to read on Father's Day. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't throw anything at me, please. Wives, submit to your husband as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Amen? Amen. Okay, where's my kids? Any kids? My kids here? Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And children say, Amen. Amen. And they're looking, where's my dad? Okay, amen. Lest they become discouraged. Okay, anybody triggered after I read this, uh, this passage? And this passage triggers a lot of people on many different levels. In fact, what we're seeing in today's society is confusion. In fact, this generation is more confused than any other generation before them. So here we've got Paul, and he begins to outline what a healthy society would look like, built upon built upon a healthy, godly family. But what do we find? We find with Paul's command, his command to wives, it's come under a lot of criticism because of the way that he translated lates this word to submit. Because this word submit, it conjures up for many people uh, this image of a downtrodden woman, you know, the victim of her husband's every whim, unable to be herself, unable to think for herself. And that doesn't. Ha- and sometimes we, we get this point of view because we do see that we see some abusive husbands out there, and that's not what Paul is talking about here. In fact, that's far from the truth, because nothing could be further from the truth. Because of because we cannot read this verse in isolation of the verse that comes next, the verse that comes next about for husbands. We can't read in isolation. If if you are an abusive husband, all you read is just this verse. Wives, submit to your to your husbands, and you don't read this other bit here, so you miss this other bit altogether, what you should be doing. And that's where we get this abuse going on. And likewise, people who are triggered in society don't see that verse either. They just focus on this word submit. Ah, look, the Bible's all about keeping women under the thumb of men. And that's not what it is at all. In fact, Paul is quite clear that in the mutuality of respect and love that makes a marriage what it should be, that husbands and wives must work together. And here's what I mean. God created men and women as equals. God created men and women as equals but not identical. God created men and women as equals but not identical so that we can complement one another. Because we belong to one another. So that we can complement one another. And because and, the way when God created us, He wired us different men are wired around things. We're wired around things. We just love just tinking with stuff and doing stuff and figuring, figuring things out. Like who needs an instruction book, right? We just get going. It's, it's only when we realize there's an extra screw. Where's that instruction book? And it goes, oh, I was meant to do that first. Okay, you know. And, and so men are just wired that way, just weird, wired around things and, and, and how they all work together, which is why mainly men make up the engineering and building industry. They make up the industry because that's, they're wired that way. They're just why the men encourage exploration and risk-taking, which is why the most dangerous jobs on the planet are staffed by men, right? And also why 
more accidents on the road are caused by men because <laughs> they take too much risks. And why women are in far less accidents than men for that very reason. See, a man's instinct is to guard their family, providing safety and security, which again is why men make up most of our army. But not to say uh, there, there are women on, on, on this industry and they're amazing. And if you want to pursue that, go for it. I think you should. I think there should be more women in those industries because, because we complement one another. And some of the women are incredible. It doesn't mean like, oh, if I like this, does that mean that I really should be a man? No, not at all. Not at all. It's got nothing to do with that. And women are wide around nurturing and safeguarding and caring for a family, which is why most nurses are women. They're just most of them are women. And why we have a lot more women? Counselors. Yep. That's right. The way we're women counselors. Now we got uh, we we have Yalta here to celebrate 50 years as a nurse. It's incredible. Yeah, come on, give me a hand. 50 years working in this industry. To be honest, I, I, I do think it's one of the toughest industries. When, when, I'm, when we've been a lot of time in, in hospital, you see all the nurses. Without the nurses, this whole thing's going to collapse. They do so much work. And I think they need to be paid at, at, at what they should be paid at. And uh, because of this, and, and so many are women, and counselors, there's a lot more counselors are women. In fact, there's, and, and, and there's a lot more women who are also early childhood teachers. They just naturally are. They go that way, not because, you know, I think you should do this. Well, you know, there's a, the parents say, you've got to go for this industry. Go, not at all. We go, you go. The world's your oyster. Go for it. But this is, where, this is the way that we're wired. We're wired this way. Uh, uh, and, and also, likewise, men can be in these industries as well. And I think they should too. Because we also complement the, the woman in these industries and, and for the better. Likewise, the other way around. But here's the thing. Mothers see everything as a threat to their child, which is why there's no round tape, or there's no cornered tape, coffee tables in our house. Porter refuses. I'm like, she'll be right. And now I've got a grandson who has, who's got a dent on this head from the cornered coffee table, and now there's one that matches on the other side from the cornered coffee table. And uh, obviously, Hans didn't get the memo. I listened to my wife, you know, happy life. Anyway, carry on. Woman, woman. Uh, so they see everything as a threat. They do, and we fathers will go. Well, it's not that dangerous. It's not that dangerous. Which is why we are still alive today because of our mums. High five, mum. <laughs> if it wasn't for our mum, <laughs> we would be in big trouble. So here, here are some pictures just to illustrate the point. Let's go to the first picture. Uh, is there a picture in there? There we go. Here's the first picture. This is a great. This is a mum. Going with the children to this to watch the uh, the uh, sunset. Let's go have a look at dad going to the same sunset with the children. Here we go, and we just wired differently. Again, like, hey, let's see if I, if I can balance you both up. It's, it's totally safe. Let's go to the next one. I love this next one because this this is great. Let's pick up the baby in the air, and mum's happy. She totally trusts dad, but just in case, <laughs> just in case, you know, I totally trust you. He's, he's, he'll give his life for the child, but just in case, right? And here we go let's, let's go to the next one now here we have a mother and the father obviously the dad's like the dad's like you know i can't be bothered putting this in the in the in the, whatever it is you know and i'm pretty sure the dad would ask the child hey is it okay if i just put a couple of groceries on you tell them yeah let's go for it they're only like three years old what would they know so there we have it. let's go to the next one there we go and again i'm just like say the dad would assist the situation and this is totally safe 
child is totally safe in this area where every mum is saying, what the heck is going on here? And obviously his wife is not around, otherwise he wouldn't be doing that. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. I love this. This reminds me of my son and how he brings up his kids. Uh, Anyway, I thought it's the Let's go to the next one. Let's go straight to the next one. I love the last one. This is the last one. Yeah, this is how (laughs) mums and dads, how they have fun with their kids, right? Like, everything's a toy. Look, the sister's enjoying it. He's obviously enjoying it too. Right, there we go. There we go. The reason why we are still alive today is because of our mums. High five, mum. Okay, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. Okay. So these gender roles are based upon how we are wired and how God has made us, which which is very different. It has nothing to do with who does the household chores and who drives the car. It's got nothing to do with any of it. You can sort that out yourself. You can sort it. In your marriage, you figure this out yourself. You know, this is about how we're wired. doesn't mean, so like in our household, like I cook, I hang up the clothes, that's what I do. Puro does everything else, and this we, work, we, we kind of work this. We work these things out. There's, it's not gender roles. It's just the way we're wired and more nurturing and what we do and, and things like that. And, 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 and um, so the point is, fathers, the roles of fathers and mothers within the family are complementary. They're complementary, and each parent brings unique strengths. Men and women are equals, but not identical. And together, the, the significance of both parental roles foster and cultivate a foundation of stability, empathy, and resilience, enabling our children to navigate life's complexity with strength and grace. We come together, and we bring our strengths together. And it's okay. We need one another. We're complementary. There's, there's no one over the other. We come together. See, in marriage, we're put together to complement each other's strengths and to compensate for each other's weaknesses. And, and, and if you're married, you know each other's weaknesses. And, and, if you, yeah, and, uh, we, and, we know, and if you're a man, we know it too because we hear it all the time. Just kidding. Just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> oh, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Ain't okay. You may not have been triggered. Now you're triggered. Okay. Sorry about that. That's not where we're going. That's probably, yeah, here we go. Let's keep, keep going, Ants. So what happens when we don't compensate for each other's weaknesses? What happens when we don't compensate for each other's weaknesses? When we don't compensate for each other's weaknesses, we end up criticizing each other. That's what we do. We just criticize each other. That's all what marriage is for because in a marriage we complement each other. We know each other's weaknesses so that we can help complement for them. We come together, we complement each other. Men and women play different roles within the family. I mean, it's like a beautiful symphony. The different roles, we're not all with different parts, but they come together and, they, and, and there's this beautiful music that's, that's created. And this is God's plan and how He wired us. And it's okay. We belong to one another. Men need women and women need men. And our children need you both. They need you both. Let's go to verse 22. Slaves. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
Now, we don't have, we don't have slaves. Well, you shouldn't have slaves. If, if there is, there's, there's another issue there. We don't have slaves, but in our context, this looks more like working, working for an employer. This is what it, what it looks like. So whatever we do, we work unto the Lord. But this is very different to, even this is very different to our context. Because in our context, if our, if our employer is mistreating us, we'll just leave. And, and you should. But here, Paul is writing to a world where slaves and free people live hand in hand with one another. And slaves, they couldn't, they couldn't just leave because a, a master could do whatever they want to their slaves. Whatever they want, lawfully. And slaves can't just up and go. Which is why he addresses their masters next. And let's go to verse 25. For the wrongdoing will be paid back for the wrongdoing he has done. And there is no partiality. There's no partiality. Just because you're a master and, and they're a so-called slave. And that's why he says in Colossians 3 verse 11, we looked at that we all, there are no slaves. There are no, uh, free or slave, we're all one in Jesus. Which is quite a controversial statement that, that Paul makes. He said, there's no partiality, we're all one in Christ. See, see Paul includes slaves in his discussion of the family because they were considered, considered members of the Greco-Roman household during this time. They were considered family members. Having a slave was normal in that time. In fact, one-third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. One-third. That's huge. Because they were either slave or free within the Roman Empire. Anyone could become a slave, and nearly any slave can become free. It's the way we don't understand it because this is so out of our, it's so out of our world. Now, we want Paul to say directly, we want Paul to say directly, release all your slaves. We want Paul to say that, but he doesn't say that. Now, to say something like that during his time would seem ludicrous to everyone. In fact, they said, what's go- I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean? You mean this person here, like, they, they owe us money and now they're our slave and I'll just let them go? I don't know what you mean. How, how does that work? In fact, for Paul to say that will bring an attack on the whole Greco-Roman society. So what Paul does is he sets off a ticking time bomb. Sows it in there that ultimately led to the abolishment of slavery in the 1800s. And that's why he, was, he makes radical statements like slave, like Colossians 3.11, that both slaves and masters are equal. That's controversial. That's a radical statement to say. They said there is no statuses before Christ. You might have that in, your, in our Roman world, but in Christ, there's no statuses. We are all one. We are all one here. That's why he says in verse 25 about partiality. That God shows no partiality, that we're all one in Christ. So you shall not condone to use your social status in that way. Oh, so you're the master, right? And you've got to, so you can treat them any way you want? No. That's not how we do it in Christ. Changes the way they think. He said, you need to love them. Treat them. Don't, don't use your status as some way to put them under your thumb. And he, change, and he sets in motion this change that takes place. And why, and, and why, uh, and then this whole thing of Christianity coming to bring an end to this, because this is not God's plan. Verse 2, four, uh, four verse 2. Let's just go to verse 5. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Remember, we're all one under Christ. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am, am in prison, that I, may be make, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I love this because Paul is a seasoned missionary. The season, he's, been, he's been shipwrecked. He's been, he's been tortured. You name it, he's, he, he's been through preaching the gospel wherever he goes. He's an apostle of Jesus. And yet he's writing to these new believers, these newbies, and he says, hey, please pray for me. Pray for me. I remember as a, as a young Christian and this, this, this older man of faith asked me to pray for him. I was intimidated. Who, me? How, I don't even know what to pray. How, how am I supposed to say that? See, we are called to pray for one another regardless of how long you've been a Christian. The point is community. The point is community. And nothing brings people together than people praying for one another. It's saying, I have your back. And God has called me to stand with you. It's called the church. We belong to one another. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the outsiders are those who, who aren't followers of Jesus. And he says, look, you... Be gracious. Be, let your words be like salt, seasoned with salt. If I had a hard-boiled egg and I just put just the right amount of salt on that hard-boiled egg and I eat it, it's heaven. It's heaven. But if I grab my boiled egg and I get the salt and I, and I, and I just keep pouring salt all over it and just drench it in salt and I try to eat it, it's unstomachable. And so be careful. And even the way that we speak to one another, you know, we've got to season it with salt. It's, you're either going to bring heaven to earth or you're going to bring condemnation that people that I don't want to hear that message. So Paul said, Paul said, be wise. Which is why even the way that he speaks, he says, hey, this thing about slavery. If, you're, if, you, if you've got slaves, you need to love them. Love them. They're your brother and your sister. Now, then Paul ends his letter into the Colossians with his final greetings. And, and, but what does he does from verse 7 to 17? Let's go verse 7 to 17. And, and, and what we see, we've got, we see all these, these names that he, he mentions. We've got, we got uh, Ty Kikas, or anyway, we've got Ty, <laughs> Ty over there, <laughs> Onesimus. Onesimus was a freed slave. If you know Philemon, he writes to this master about this freed slave. Hey, you know, and, and again, it's another time bomb that he sets in place. And then all these names, Epaphras, and all these names that, that he mentions, and he connects, and he connects, connects the church of Colossae, with all those on the mission field, he connects them all together. The point Paul is making throughout his letter, throughout all of Colossians, it means in a th- is a thousand ways in which Christians belong to one another. We belong to one another in fellowship of mutual love, prayer, extra- instruction, and service. See, it's undesirable, undesirable and ultimately impossible for any individual Christian or church to go it alone. You can't go it alone. If you're trying to go it alone, that's unbiblical. And the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church of Colossae, saying you can't go it alone. We belong to one another. And, and, and if, you, if you are imagining that there's nothing to gain or learn from another Christian or another, or from, or another church, then hey, you need to change the way you think. Because we belong together. And he ends Colossian with this. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. 
Grace be with you. Remember my chains, grace be with you. So what does it mean for us? What does this letter written to this new church, this new startup in Colossae mean to us today? What does it mean? It means that God's antidote for loneliness, God's antidote for fatigue, for fear, failure and frustration is community. It's community. Community through Jesus Christ. Because we belong to one another. If you're going through a time of loneliness, the the enemy will do all that he can is to isolate you. To cut you off from any connection. He'll try all that he can because he knows God's antidote to that is community. But society tells us that happiness is the result of independence. That if I'm financially independent... That if I'm relationally independent, if I'm independent in every way, I don't need a woman, I don't need a man, I don't need a family. If I'm independent in every way, then I will be the happiest. And yet, we have never seen more unhappy people than ever before in society. Suicide suicide rates continue to go up. They try all sorts of things. We just got to affirm them and try to do things and all the... The statistics tell us it's not, it's not changing anything. Why? Because independence is not the answer. The truth is, happiness does not come from being independent, isolated, living your life with all these barriers up, and keeping people at a distance. That's not the way to be happy. Happiness comes from interdependence. It comes from community through Jesus Christ. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that I need you. I need you. We need each other. We belong to one another. See, my heart for this church is not that we just come here on a Sunday and then we go home. But for us to be connected together Because only God can change your heart. But transformation in your life, it requires you to get connected, to be part of a community. That's why we have connect groups. So that we can be surrounded by believers who speak life over each other. And to let you know who you are in Christ. We We need community. We belong to one another. You know, last night we celebrated my mom's 70th birthday was last night. We're in Auckland, celebrated 70 years of her life. Um, 20 years ago, we celebrated her 50th birthday. That's why maths is important. (laughs) But why I mention that is because I remember celebrating her 50th birthday. The next day was a Sunday. Sunday morning, with me and Poro, all the kids, with a car and a van load of things, Moved to Hamilton for the, for the very first time. So today marks 20 years of us, our family, being in Hamilton. 20 years of our family being here. So going to my mum's 70th, really, and there, here's me sitting there with 16 of our family members from Hamilton. And I said, wow, a lot has happened in 20 years. This is my tribe. A lot has happened. But here's the thing, when we moved to Hamilton, we had no friends. 
We had no we knew no one. No one. Hamilton was a good place to hide, to get away. We were broken. We were in a bad place financially and we, we were wrecked. Until we discovered Elam. See, what could have been the most destructive season in our life became the most fruitful. When God began to show us our purpose and our calling. But the way that God changed our thinking was through a new community. See, I'm going to declare what God has done for me in my life. But I'm not going to keep it to myself. See, you suffer with forgiveness? Me too. You suffer with depression? Me too. But this is how God came through in my life. I'm not going to keep that information to myself. Because what I've been through can help someone else experience freedom in Jesus. Because we belong to one another. We belong to one another. See, Paul understood that this life that God has called us to is more than just a good sermon on a Sunday. It's more than just good worship music. But it's about community. It's about community. That's our vision. Real love serves. Our vision is that everybody will be part of a loving community because we belong to one another. Come on, church, let us pray.